Ooh. Hello and welcome to the Tukaneko podcast, coming to you not live from a coffee shop somewhere in London. Um, I'm currently sipping a nice decaf Americano, delicious. It's what all the coffee connoisseurs have. I finished mine. It was really nice. I've, I've only got like a, a drip left. Yeah. Um, but because the podcast is audio only, I feel like I could get away with saying that I've got a full cup. <laughs> so. It's, it's just not as catchy to start with. No. My coffee's empty. I want, I want this coffee to be half full. Well. A bit of positivity. I think that's fine. You know, because now we've finished our coffee, we can provide an informed opinion on the coffee, which I think we might do later in the podcast. <laughs> and without further ado, introductions completed. <laughs> it's definitely taken a new tone. <laughs> it's taken a coffee shop podcast, you know. Um, so what we wanted to talk about today is um, a debate that James and I were having around single releases versus album releases mm. versus jam releases versus what other forms of release we can <laughs> do for music. A big category of other. <laughs> yeah. So we want to we kind of discuss this topic because it's quite a, um, I feel like it's a pretty relevant trend right now where bands are starting to release singles only. One of the more recent ones was um, Pendulum are no longer going to release albums. They're oh, only, right. I mean, they, they recently reformed, but they're only going to release singles from now on, uh, which is interesting. Mm. Um, and it's something that we've seen over the last, probably the last 10 years, I guess, where mm. bands have just started releasing singles instead of albums. And something that James and I are torn on, because we love the process of creating albums, but we can clearly see the benefits of releasing singles, uh, just to kind of keep yourself in the kind of eye of all your fans and uh, keep yourself relevant in the times that are now so fast-paced. Mm -hmm. So we want to discuss that a bit. Yeah. don't know if it's something that just goes in cycles. Like, mm. there was that period in the 40s or 50s when it was all singles and then they just chucked stuff onto an album. It was like was a it bundle. In, in, in the 40s and 50s, was it just singles? Yeah. I guess you couldn't fit it onto an LP back, back in those days. Yeah, like, the, the longer LP was, like, not really great. That great, it was just... They would they would put a couple of singles on and then just fill the rest of it, um, mm. and then like various sort of the creativity like exploded in the sixties and it suddenly became yeah. uh, not viewed as a bunch of songs because you yeah. know the, the albums in general got better, um, yeah. like the songs on them got generally better, but they were yeah. still eleven good songs rather than an album. And yeah, then I, I guess it was sold as a kind of bundle deal wasn't it it was like let's um, mm. chuck in all these average songs yeah. um, so we're selling 11 songs instead of two really good ones so we can charge more for it mm. um, whereas you wouldn't be able to sell those kind of mm. uh, average album tracks by themselves so it was a mm. kind of way to get more money out of a, a release like, yeah, back, for sure. back in the 40s and 50s um, and I'm sure they'll be used for like compilations and stuff yeah um, but then I mean I'm I, I don't really know who was like the, the first person like like Sgt. Pepper's obviously the one that's gone down as really famous, but Pet Sounds was before that. Yeah. Um, and Pet Sounds was arguably a more cohesive album before it was like the done thing. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure the complete order, but um, I know Sgt. Pepper is revolutionary in some ways of really not just, um, well, they had this whole concept to it, like it was a concept album, not just a cohesive album. Yeah. They arguably made quite cohesive things like from sort of rubber soul onwards things to kind of have a sound yeah yeah um, that's, that's what i was going to say like 
um, while Sergeant Pepper's a concept album, it's got a kind of the underlying theme. Mm. You can sort of see that um, Revolver and Rubber Soul. Just talking about the Beatles, aren't we? <laughs> you okay. can sort of see <laughs> that. You can sort of see that like Revolver and um, Rubber Soul have do have a consistent sound and a bit of a flow to them. Mm. So maybe I, mean, I think it's because they're spending more time in the studio at that point. Like before then, before then you're literally rushing in and doing a few days or a week. Yeah. It's not like this <laughs> luxurious. They would like bring in a new song, and three hours later, the finished recording is done. Like yeah. the speed is unbelievable. Um, from like them not even hearing the song to like finished, yeah. <laughs> finished song could be ridiculously quick. So mm. um, even spending like a month or two on something like Rubber Soul, I don't know how long they did, but it was probably like a month or two months. Yeah. Um, that's when you start to get the more cohesive thing when yeah. when like. It, it comes from these bands who are so successful they're lended more time in the in the studio which like there's not yeah. from a business point of view there's not really that that much point putting like a good little live yeah. rock band in to do their live set for a month like they just need to go in and bash it out and you can yeah, see that from, you can see that from Please Please Me which the Beatles did in a day to like Sgt Pepper which they took over six months and then from on from then on they stopped touring so mm. really the albums are the only thing that comes out so uh, they're the like only uh, I don't know events that are happening. So mm. before you've released that thing, you I don't know. They uh, they did say in some interviews that they were concentrating on having a sound for each album, even from the early days. But yeah, it's when they start spending more time in the studio and getting more equipment and trying to be more experimental <coughs> um, that you change the sound because you're not bound by playing it live. I like that. It, it feels like a kind of no-brainer, isn't it? Because it's um, it's quite a an album is quite a it's like an open thing it's like a sort of 40 minutes where you can express mm. anything you want um, so mm. once you kind of drop the whole thing of it being just like a bundle of 11 average songs and two good ones you kind of are left with the space of 40 minutes to create mm. something create an experience that lasts 40 minutes so mm. I can see how they quite na naturally progress mm. but you get this um, like surge after like, the late 70s like going to like 1968 you've got like some of the earlier Pink Floyd releases and then like mm. um, like in things like In the Court The Crimson King like all these albums that are becoming more cohesive and then fucking early 70s it just kicks off mm. and like Pink Floyd starts to dominate the world and like so many other bands are creating these mm. cohesive albums and concept albums like even when, when did The Who start when did Tommy come out was that 80s don't know. Anyway. I think it was I think it was seventies, but mm. I'm not sure. Could right. probably Google it, but I can't bother. Um, we don't Google things on this podcast, James. This is this <laughs> is raw knowledge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or lack of knowledge. Yeah, or just misinformation. Raw, raw uninformed <laughs> rambles. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah. Then they started breaking down the boundaries of songs within. So I think Simon and Pepper's one of the first gapless. Um, really? So songs blended into one another, but it's still kind of discrete songs, mm. um, whereas you listen to the Pink Floyd albums it's much more of a one long thing and harder to divide yeah. up yeah. Um, in the same way and I mean I'm not as kind of well versed on all the really deep prog rock albums yeah. that came in the 70s but that was like the um, heyday I suppose of it that when, yeah. when the public were, were into like these 40 minute experiences yeah. rather than yeah. like Yes and Genesis and those kind of bands yeah they're pretty wild mm. <laughs> And then, and then, 
well, kind of to this day, this idea of the album, at least from a musician's point of view, uh, music fans' point of view, has definitely continued. Um, yeah. You know, pe people sold CDs which had much, you could fit much more tracks on them if you wanted, but, uh, and so I think albums got longer because of that, but this concept, they're like, oh, if I'm really into an artist, I go and get their, their album. If I really like this song, I go to the album for a collection that are, are like mm. this. Um, and there is something in pretty satisfying about listening to an album that's got the same sort of idea, the same yeah. sort of sound. Um, and that's why my vinyl collection is anchored around like classic albums, because you find most of them, they're classic for a reason, like they just have a vibe, a unique vibe going all the way through. Yeah. Great songs on their own, but also mm. not all of them are necessarily singles. Yeah. Because it's interesting because they're not all concept albums, but they, they, they are sometimes like a set of tracks with some single tracks and some album tracks. Mm. But maybe there's this um, thing that was created, like, which is the album track, which there's definitely something about an album track, um, mm. which is different to a single, but is also very enjoyable. Mm. Um, so I think, I'm, I'm just trying to, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head right now, but like, Oh, just any like album track that any, you like, like. <laughs> any album track. There's just um, there's something about them where they kind of fit nicely in that collection of songs, mm. and they provide like something creatively, mm. um, but they're clearly not a single. Oh yeah, like I absolutely agree. It gives. I think that's a really good point. Like the if we link it back to the environment now, where like um, because there's we'll talk about it a bit more, but like because things are less attached to a physical product and there's way way more artists and songs like you're kind of expected to put stuff out more regularly and more singles yeah. but as you said like the, the thing that the album gave is that it built this expectation at least in the public that you're going to have a few that are designed for radio yeah uh, that are designed that are more like instant more um up front and then with that you're going to have stuff that was made around a similar time or around a similar sound concept whatever is the unifying yeah. thing of the album um but yeah it, it could be a bit more exploratory it could be a bit more dark mysterious mm. or um just a bit more toned down just just something that works in the context of the sugar highs of the yeah. single uh, they work back to back but if, if that came out as their single it wouldn't like rock the radio it it's like a like, palate cleanser isn't it yeah <laughs> like if an album is a tasting menu the uh <laughs> <laughs> the, the album tracks are yeah, I suppose, just, um, I suppose tasting menus are the kind of ultimate yeah. for food aren't they? Yeah. if you really like a restaurant you go and get the yeah like the sort of thing I'm sort of imagining like you know when people are handing out like a little taster on, on the street outside the railway station would you like to try our new frozen yoghurt <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be the single <laughs> yeah. and, then you, and then you could go in for like the I, I don't know if I've ever seen a tasting menu for frozen yoghurt but I'm sure one exists out there um, yeah, like, like a Michelin star frozen yogurt restaurant. Oh, that's definitely been done before. I mean, not, not an entire restaurant, but there's definitely a Michelin star chef that has created frozen. a frozen yogurt. Mm. That's probably, definitely probably sort of like a weird animal. A weird. I can't think of it. Sort of a yak, a yak milk blood orange. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they would probably make it delicious, but that's quite. I think it was like the kind of combination of yak milk and then blood. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the blood didn't come from the yak. But it's just like... <laughs> I like blood orange. Yeah, no, we need to... I think yeah. it could be a, quite a placebo flavour, but I'm totally taken by it. 
It's nice. It is really nice. It's like I'll pay quite a lot extra for blood orange juice over orange juice. It's got quite a nice hue to the colour. Mm. I like the sort of deep red slash pink. It's got a taste in there as well. There is unique. a taste. Like a kind of grapefruity bitterness in there. Um, mm. But 90% of the taste is like normal orange. Mm. Yeah, you pay a few quid more. And I will, every time. It's my weakness. So, <laughs> we're here in 2020 and the album, as I've mentioned before, has started to dwindle a little bit in my opinion mm. because it is solely because of the way that people consume music with things mm. like Spotify and um, YouTube and whatever Amazon and all the streaming services they um, kind of make music more easily accessible which is has pros and cons for sure um, but it means that there is no actual physical need for an album mm. and people have started to realise that mm. and the kind of advantages of not having an album are that you could release a song every month and you're always in the limelight mm. you're always there um like in the news like releasing a new song yeah you can't hibernate for mm. two years anymore and then re-emerge and still people remember you i guess yeah um, i mean big artists can but they've got they've got a massive marketing machine that means that when their album does come out they can definitely get known about but i <coughs> I don't find album releases as exciting these days. Neither do I. And maybe it's because all you get is it dropping onto the, the streaming service, which is kind of a mm. homogeneous like environment to consume music. It's yeah. not like you get the. It's not like you get the CD and you remember yeah. when you first listened. Yeah, to you, it. you don't sit down. You, you're normally like at work or something, and it's come out. And it's Friday. You just stick mm. it on in the background when you do some work. It's not as it's, involved. Yeah, it's kind of like your life does go on as normal. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'm over over egging the difference, but I, I, I did. Um, the last one I remember, big release that I was excited about, and I, I know you weren't as excited about this, James, but it was the Arctic Monkeys' latest release, um, mm. Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. So um, me and my um, flatmate at the time, we just manufactured an old school kind of re- um, first listening mm. so we ordered the vinyl pre-ordered it and we didn't listen to the song until the vinyl arrived and the first time we listened to it we sat down in the living room put the vinyl on mm. um, and it was cool I really was enjoyed it you listened to it oh uh, yeah it was before one of our um, none of us liked it <laughs> well it was definitely a it was challenging <laughs> in the I first mean, listen I, I would say now that it's definitely up there with one of my favourite mm. albums like uh, definitely top 50 somewhere in my favourite albums yeah. um, and in terms of Arctic Monkeys it's like my second mm. favourite band so I think it um, a lot more now mm. um, it's just very uh, and it's if we're talking about sort of cohesive themes yeah. and like album tracks that only fit in that like yeah, there's definitely a lot yeah. of ones they wouldn't release as a single but they worked in this they yeah. created an atmosphere for sure um, mm. it was just a lot of people didn't expect after a very like mainstream <laughs> hit album, a lot of people didn't yeah. expect to do a basically a concept album about space with yeah. old school synths. And but um, yeah. I really like that they did that. Really, it, it really means like that it. they're not like tied to have it. Because if, if they tried to do the chart thing again and failed, they'd be mm. like, oh, I failed. Yeah. But because they just completely went left field, did their own thing. No one's going to what what people going to expect from the next. Don't know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Um, so. That way of like doing a release, like listening to the vinyl for the first time, mm. that was something special. Um, so I, I, I don't know where that kind of leaves the album, but 
um, for the purists, the option to listen to the album mm. on release on vinyl is still there. Yeah. Because most big releases will be released on vinyl these days. Yeah, to make it like inconvenient for yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's what we should do with Tukin Echo, just only release our songs on vinyl for the first like two months or something. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I think. I don't know, I think in general it's a good thing, but I, but I also can't deny that a lot of the albums I'm most attached to I did discover and listen to on vinyl. So there's a thing that always bugs me of like my, my scientific brain gets that like Spotify is better, um, yeah. like having it more accessible is better, being able to pick and choose is better. It's, it's just, you know, everyone at all history of time would have wanted the choice, yeah. technology, convenience, speed that we have now. Mm. I don't think we would generally want music to be more restricted like it was yeah. um, in the kind of romantic days of the album. Yeah. But I can't deny that the a lot of the albums I got, I got really into, I discovered through like just having a, I got given um, a lot of my uncle's vinyls because I was getting quite into them. Yeah. And it's kind of how I discovered the Beatles as well. Like. I kind of did a vinyl-esque thing through CDs, it was back in like 2009-ish, yeah. um, when they had all these remastered releases, and I hadn't really been into their albums that much, so I would just go and buy one of these one at a time, like read all the booklets, because they came, we came out with loads of info, yeah. um, and then like listen to the CD through. Yeah, I remember um, doing that with a few of my then first albums. And kind of wait until I was ready for the next one, and then go and get the next one, a bit like I was doing my own release cycle for it, you know? Yeah. Um, and and then like the vinyls was sort of the same thing I got given a stack of stuff that I knew were good records but I'd never heard before like Paul Simon and the yeah. police and whatever and just someday you just go oh let's just like whack this whack this vinyl on and so you'd let it play all the way through number yeah. one like something that you wouldn't do if you had instant skip yeah you can't skip yeah if, you, if you're putting it on like you'd have to really not like it to go and take it off and replace it with something else um, and then there's something I don't know, it always leave like a sort of 5% interest to make you want to put it on again and then like pretty soon you're just really hooked by it. And there's something about the concentration of putting it on on like a, an album on vinyl. There's, on the, the, there's a huge psychological thing. Yeah. Like you, the, the amount of investment you have to put in to actually put on a vinyl is extraordinary compared to Spotify mm. or Amazon or whatever. And so, but maybe that's what we're missing. Uh, definitely the album track thing mm. of like, if all your singles have to be catchy, attention grabbing, then, well, it's kind of a race to the bottom of like whoever sort of shouts the loudest and has the. Yeah. That's what we're seeing with K pop. K pop, oh my god. <laughs> um, which is yeah. just the kind of loudest, poppiest, like, in yeah. your face thing to like grab attention. It definitely works. Definitely works. And then, like, I mean, a, a, a great example is the. Um, Dance Monkey by Tones and I. That's just like it's like a dance monkey, dance that one. I'm, I'm sick of it, but it is a very attention-grabbing. So like, mm. like the vocal performance on that track is just insane. Mm. Um, the, I don't know whether it's like a good performance, but I like I liked it when I listened to it. and I was addicted to it for a bit. Mm. Um, it's that kind of like sugar to the brain. Yeah, I, yeah. I love this candy, um, me, like um, a metaphor. Mm. It's so great, sugar to the brain, just like. Addicts you and you keep coming back to it, and that's that's when it charts because everyone in the world is just like listening to the song twice a day for mm. um, over the course of three weeks or something. But I watched a little documentary. The, I mean, this is sort of half on the album, but I, I I watched a documentary the other day called like Is Rock Dead? Um, oh yeah. And it's just interviewing a lot of people. I think it covered a lot of points, sort of like we've been talking about that people know about already, like the industry changed. Yeah. Um, but 
I think we should be careful that we don't just talk about music in terms of what's in the top 20 or what is the most popular, what's like who are the superstars. Yeah. Because like rock music people are no longer the superstars. It's all like hip hop and EDM yeah, exactly. is where like superstars are made and where like big festivals Arena are gonna play that sort of music, yeah. that, that sort of thing. Um, or or like old school kind of classic rock artists who are still going based on their fan base. In fact you could argue that like most of the people with like these really um, big like live fan base and stuff or people who were made in the old era when things were less chaotic and there was less of a sort of bottomless mm. uh, supply of music but um, they all kind of made the point that like well it's not dead because there's just like so much music being made it's just under the surface of like the top Stormy. glitzy top 20 or whatever yeah. um, and like if, if you're into rock music, you could say that, well, the top 20 has basically always been rubbish. It's always been processed. It's always, I mean, yeah. it, I don't know if you ever see when those Top of the Pops come on from like the 1970s on like BBC Four. You yeah. just go, oh, Top of the Pops 1978. Like, most of it's rubbish. <laughs> most of it is like weird novelty yeah. <laughs> songs with weird dances. There's, there's and, certainly a survivorship bias, isn't there? Like, yeah. You only get the good ones from the 70s and 80s. <laughs> well, well, the one, yeah, the, but the stuff that was actually at the top of the chart that week was like a weird novelty song. Yeah. Probably worse than our Top 20 now. <laughs> Um, so you can definitely go oh there was an era where the, all the top 20 was these really advanced albums which was more true than today but not necessarily completely true hmm. um, and I just think today like the the underbelly of music the, the amount is definitely bigger there's probably probably better a lot of it but hmm. there's just so much and it's not coming to your attention I like, I like this tangent yeah it's, um, it's not necessarily related to albums but it's like with the amount of music that's released. Um, I think it's interesting because there's definitely an argument to say that there's far more music out there for everyone. Mm. And if you put the time and energy to dig for the music, you will find music that you will prefer, which mm. didn't exist 30 years ago. I mean, in the there were, say, a hundred big bands 30 years ago, but now there's a thousand. Mm. <laughs> um, or a thousand medium-sized bands as opposed to a hundred big bands. Yeah. And you can find something that's much more suited to your taste mm. if you put in the energy and you look for it. And also, if you have, like, a really specific taste, this is what I find sometimes, like, I don't think I have a... I think, yeah, I don't think I have a, like, I like, I don't know, person with croaky voice plus, like, phased guitar and like backwards drums like that that probably exists yeah. but like I wouldn't define my taste where some people have like really defined niche tastes and they'll like dive deep into a particular area um, it feels like more of a pick and mix these days if it's more yeah. common for someone to, to jump around different yeah. genres and I think what what we lose there is the kind of mass hype around a certain release, mm. which I think a lot of people like. It's, that, that's what made like massive releases super exciting. Mm. Um, like unified, like your friends knew about it. Yeah, it was on the news or on the TV yeah. or whatever. Yeah, like I don't think we've had a release like that for years. Like, mm. I can't remember the last time I was super hyped for a release. Mm. Um, but it's and everyone around me was hyped for release yeah. as well. But that's like scarcity, though, isn't it? Which is just we it don't is, have yeah. we don't have that anymore, and you probably don't want to manufacture it or like you only manufacture scarcity in your own releases and like when it's. Mm. I mean, you'll still see big um, big artists do it, 
um, like Adele holding a album off Spotify or something, that they'll still kind of manufacture scarcity if they've got leverage, but that's not really the best thing for the fans. Yeah. Um, and it can only work if you've built up such a rabid fan base that they're in a in a economy mm. and world where everything is instant and on demand. They'll yeah. allow you to withhold stuff. Um, yeah. But but yeah, that that is like part of the world used to just be more scarce. So yeah. it would you would have bandwidth to dive yeah. into that album, and it would be you you would have been able to wait for it because you almost wouldn't have had a choice. <laughs> but it's about the kind of atmosphere as well, like. Back in the early 2000s, everyone was talking about Strokes and everyone was talking about mm. the Arctic Monkeys and the Killers and um, all those other like indie bands yeah. like Franz Ferdinand and stuff. Like everyone who you kind of met, at least where James and I grew up in our kind of like circles, it was just like, oh yeah, I like music. Oh yeah, so you like Strokes, Arctic Monkeys, Franz Ferdinand, mm. all that stuff. Um, mm. And it was quite easy to like form a group around that. Mm. You don't really have that. I mean, may, maybe you do among. I mean, maybe it's just because we've grown up. <laughs> maybe it's just because we're older. Um, uh, but I don't know if I've experienced that as much. Where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm into music, and then like, oh, who are you listening to? And I just list off a few bands, and it's like, cool. <laughs> I mean, I used to try and list off bands people wouldn't wouldn't have heard of. That would be that uh, would be my like pride when I'm like 15, 16. In the mm. pop punk circle, I'd be like, oh, ones with really complicated names as well. Like, ah, oh, you know. Uh, treehouse cloud surfers have you heard of them um, and they'd be like no oh they're so good yeah, oh, best band ever <laughs> yeah where are I'll totally living? turn you on to them me my music nerd knowledge yeah but yeah, there's, yeah there's prestige about it isn't there like finding stuff that people don't know but I can't to be fair I can't say that a lot of my taste I felt very unified like I, I've definitely had like smaller groups of friends who are into similar stuff so like we'd be obsessed with the same album but like I've always been into like older music or or like so deeply obsessed with the band that it would kind of alienate most people um, like I do remember we were talking about like famous album releases the one that really sticks out is when Green Day bought out 21st Century Breakdown which mm. was the follow up to American Idiot and that was a long way that was five years, five years. that was um, so I pre-ordered it because he used to do that in the day yeah. I think it came the day before because sometimes you pre-order yes. it accidentally arrived the day before if they mistimed the post yeah um, they probably send it off to make sure it got there on the day so yeah, they might do first see. class like two days before and it yeah. might get there um, but yeah I remember like uh, I then went on a school trip to like Paris um, and I was just the most anti-social person ever because all I would do on any of the journeys any of the things where I didn't have to have my well no yeah when I had the option to have my headphones on blasting Green Day into my head I would do it so I think people got quite a weird impression to me of that trip but mm. I just that was the most important thing <laughs> and no one else <laughs> cared about this like album yeah. um, I think sometimes people listen to it with me they mediumly liked it mm. but um, yeah so either I don't remember I remember being excited about release but not being culturally united at that point right. and then I, I talked about like the vinyls and the Beatles releases and my deep dive into the police or currently the white stripes like I get the hype just just because I feel excited that there's more to dig and learn and yeah. like, I'm just I've been my mind's been open to a new thing yeah. um, I don't really remember like everyone in my everyone in my sort of like like tens or hundreds of people around me are listening to the same yeah. thing. I remember like Fallout Boy, one of the whatever the 
2011-ish release, or maybe like 2012. What, Save Rock and Roll? No, no, Save Rock and Roll, what was that one? When was that? 2013, 2012? Yeah, that was that. That was about 2013. I remember there being a bit of that around that one, um, which was interesting. interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I remember then, listening to that one quite a lot, but I don't remember lots of people listening to it. I, I remember a few like random people also talking about that release. It was more mainstream, wasn't it? Yeah, it was more mainstream. I think they put quite a lot of marketing behind it. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sort of random thoughts on the album, but kind of. I, I, I've got, I've got one more. Oh okay, yeah, um, This is free form. Counterpoint to this one is it's not um, the fact that um, people aren't into the same music anymore. It's the fact that. Um, we've grown up, which I mentioned earlier, but I think there's something here. <clears throat> because when people are younger, they haven't fully formed their music taste, so they just listen to what's on the charts mostly. Mm. And they might li listen to, I don't know, rock charts or hip-hop charts or folk mm. charts specifically, but their music taste is kind of restricted to those kind of top yeah, percentage of each genre. So you would get um, more people who are younger listening to the charts. Mm. And then as people's music tastes develop, they kind of go more niche depending on what they like. Yeah, you become more of your own person. Yeah. So I feel like that's contributing as well. Yes. I feel like the charts held up a lot by the youth, and that's because their music taste hasn't um, formed into their kind of mm. uh, own niche yet. And I think in school, like when you're a teenager, you feel way more like social pressure to like fit in, to not mm. be an odd one out, to not be like... Uh, there's definitely more cohesion, like, I remember with, like, clothes, like, yeah. oh, everyone's wearing, like, this brand, which is, can sometimes be annoying, because then on, like, a non-uniform day, you're like, shit, like, how many people are going to be wearing the same t-shirt? Like, oh, I'm going to need to pack, like, a jumper in case I need yeah. to, <laughs> guess I need to change up my look. But at the same time, yeah, it'd be, like, there's definitely cohesion around, like, mm. games people are playing, like, yeah. you know, people... If you didn't play like Call of Duty or something, then you wouldn't yeah. be able to be in the conversation. Definitely more pressure in that environment to be, to like blend in, be the same, not like be wearing something weird, be, yeah, not definitely. be like bad or something. Yeah. Um, but then like I feel like uni that can flip a bit, a bit yeah. more, and like you get, you feel less. Um, That's pressure. Need, yeah. Well, you, There's more people. You what have would you even to converge people. towards? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's more people at uni, so you can find people who are more like you. Maybe yeah, more, you can that. just yeah, you can just sort of be accepted for more like what you are rather than what you're expected. What yeah. this larger group is expected to behave like. Yeah. Um, to feel less trapped. But what was my? But actually, as a kind of opposite point to that at uni, I, I had to get into the charts more because you you go um like clubbing a lot more yeah. where they play like yeah certain. The top 20 on repeat. Yeah. Um, and everyone would sing along. I was like, just stand there, like, sometimes I'd mouth. Yeah, it's like, I've never heard this song. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm reasonably musical, so I could sort of, I could sort of pick up what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> I was quite good at improvising yeah. what I, I could guess some of the rhymes. And <laughs> um, <laughs> so I reckon there's going to be a drop in four bars time. Here yeah. we go. But it could get a bit boring. Because because I'm always quite like focused on the music, if in even in like a club environment, I like yeah. I kind of want to enjoy the music. Otherwise, I get really bored. Yeah. Um, like I I just want to I don't want to feel disconnected from it the whole night. Just standing through songs I don't like or don't know that would I find that really grating. Yeah. So I try um so I try to at least be aware of the top twenty a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> even if I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, 
which is kind of funny. But then I, but then I like really enjoyed myself on nights where it played like Motown, where it played My oh, Sort yeah. of Era. So good. Um, so good. Like I would, I could let loose a bit more then. I didn't didn't have to try to know the songs. Mm. So I got what everyone else was feeling <laughs> when, you know, the number one came on. Yeah. Apart from Rather Be, I, I knew that one. That was an absolute, absolute storming tune. I'll just go. Yeah, that's so good. It just goes. Pure pop. So, what does this mean for Tukin Echo? <laughs> I think um, there's, there's another side to this which we haven't discussed. We, we, we've talked a lot about how the kind of consumer digest music mm. and they have throughout history. But um, there's the other side about how the kind of band or artist makes the music and the kind of creative process yeah. behind it because there is a different creative process to releasing singles to releasing an album which is something that we've realised over the last couple of years mm. um, so we've released a number of singles um, but we've also released an album Walk Circus mm. and we've recently been reflecting on the process for each one we flip flop so much between oh we do it must be on the podcast two or three times we've announced we're going to do monthly singles <laughs> <laughs> and then we fall off our timeline and then we go but should we make an album yeah <laughs> so I think have we covered the we have covered the benefits of releasing singles. Like we get greater exposure. We, it's easier to build up a kind of wave of momentum. There's all these mm. very valid, practical reasons that you release singles. Mm. But that's how new bands launch. Like if you see them, who are signed to labels, like mm. they'll always do as many singles as possible until they have traction on the single, and then they'll go make an album. They won't even make mm. one until like a single's doing well. Um, yeah. So they'll very slowly. They might be going in the public eye for like a couple of years until they actually yeah, make exactly, an album. Yeah. An album is something for like when they've got fans who want to go yeah. deep enough. Whereas it used to be the debut album is like yeah. the launch. Yeah, like the biggest thing. <laughs> um, whereas so, now it's sort of the monetization. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of the album, I, I see it as it's if a longer period of time, obviously, because you're making a collection of ten songs as opposed to just one. Mm. So it takes you longer, um, and that brings with it a longer time to kind of think about ideas and develop creative yeah. ideas, which, which we really delved into with Walk to Circus and trying mm. to incorporate a bit more um, electronic, uh, ambient, um, experimental, synthy sounds um, mm. into the music, which today we both love. <laughs> mm. um, I think we were really proud of that. Um, and we've noticed with the singles that we've released, we kind of start on an idea, we don't go deep into it, we kind of mm. create a, what could be like the start of an idea that we then mm. develop a more through an album. Well, I suppose for context, like a lot of songs on Walk Circus we recorded two, three times. Mm. They went through iterations, and like because you're making. I don't, I don't know why it happens. I mean, there's there's one one aspect that's like it's a personal thing that it it landmark no landmarks signposts marks I don't know what the word is but like it kind of tags that moment in time much better for you personally. So like when I listen to that album now, yeah. I get really like evocative memories of a certain period of time. Yeah, it it like puts sort of. 2017 to 2018 as a, a feeling of periods the thoughts like sounds mm. it kind of puts a little package around that 
a period of time. So, like for you personally, looking back on music that you've made, um, a, a, a single feels like, oh, I remember that day, but it was like a flash. Whereas yeah, exactly. A, yeah. This feels like, oh, I remember that like whole year making that thing. It's just more of a landmark thing to have a mm. an album that is like. It brings across lots of different ideas, just because you know it takes longer to make. And as you said, like you're more, you go deeper into ideas. I don't know if that's just because you're working on it for longer before you release it. I don't know why the release makes such a difference. Because in theory, the moment you finish a song, and you could have released ten songs over that time, yeah, and still tried to make them sound the same, but they wouldn't. There's something about it that wouldn't have felt as cohesive, and you feel like some ideas yeah. just wouldn't have come out in the same way. Yeah, like the, the most obvious example for me is when we were doing um, Patina, which we kind of, we were doing some sessions for edit, um, which is the first track on the album, and then all of a sudden um, we stumbled on a synth which we liked, and we were like, yeah. right, put down edit for now because we're not releasing it next week. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's work on this song, mm. Patina, which eventually made it as track two on the album, and it's one of our faves. Mm. Um, so it's like, I feel like it allows the opportunities like that, just like mm. random tangents and just like, time isn't so scarce. Mm. So you can do these random things. Mm. Um, and like you, you think about the, I mean, the album tracks point is really good. Like you think about mm. the songs in like a, oh, this is a bit more left field. This is a bit more mm. niche, but like, um, yeah, we can put it on an album where we may not release it as a single. Yeah. and. There's some mentality about a single that it's really like front and centre representing what you're about. You're pushing it like in front of people's eyes. Whereas an album track feels like it's there more to like get discovered. It's it's more humble, more more humility. It's just like, if you want it, come and find it. But I'm not going to like put this in your your feed. And yeah, yeah, it's it's like just even even if you could just release album tracks as a single just that historical feeling that a single is like your most radio friendly big yeah. thing it people feels e- yeah. unnatural to put an album track out in that way people expect it to be the most representative thing like if <laughs> I'm trying to think like if we put out long form dream as just a random single for our walk circus release mm. it, it wouldn't feel right mm. um, I don't think that we would have the confidence to re- really like mm. Put, up, put that out as a single that represents Tukin Echo during that week or month or whatever. Mm. That, that it has no context. Yeah. It's just like, oh, why would you put out a instrument, weird sort of yeah. instrumental that's based around a synth? Like, yeah. aren't you a jam band? But then when you have a whole album that has some things that are a bit more like traditional mm. and then some things that, that stretch way more to like a studio kind of auto-tuny mm. style thing. It's much, yeah, I don't know, that's just the home for it. But then, I don't know how many, like, listens Walk to Circus has even got, like, how many people have, because it's such a big thing for people to get into when you're, mm. like, starting out. You know, will, is it just a thing for us and not a thing for the fans? You know what I mean? A, a, oh, I, I, I don't listeners think, ready for that yet? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think that's a bad thing, though. I, I think that... Um, to make good art, you have to make what you want to make, as mm. opposed to what you think a listener would want to listen to. So mm. I think that that's fine. Mm. <laughs> I, I think you always end up with a kind of diluted version of whatever you wanted to create if you're pandering to 
um, uh, fan base. Mm. So as guys listen to this, <laughs> we do care about you really. I mean, the people are, people are listening all the way through this. They're proper. Yeah. They're proper fans. You're hey in the inner circle now. And gals. So I think um, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to create something for yourself if it's like because pe- people appreciate it. Like people who are like you, I'm sure there's people out there will eventually stumble across the album and be like, oh my god, this is amazing. It's just mm. like me and they'll see the genuineness of it. And I think people appreciate genuine art as opposed to a kind of mm. diluted, mass-produced kind of thing. So, I suppose we have an identity crisis of how we want to use, how we want, well, not even, I think, if you could promote them equally easily and we had lots of time, mm. I think we would just make albums because yeah. it's a more satisfying process and like, personally are more memorable like uh, more sort of you're more proud of releasing it you it's like running running a marathon instead of running 1k lots of times <laughs> yeah doing 41 k's like, yeah 1k a week yeah oh, what would, 1k a week's probably better for you though if you did it every single week uh, the metaphor's broken so it might be oh, healthier, but it's less of an achievement. I don't think it is healthier in terms of our musical health. Mm. <laughs> I think, um, I think, yeah. I mean, we tried to break this down. We, we on our, one of our Spain trips, I think it was when we were in like Bilbao, or maybe we'd just gone from Bilbao to the other city we went to. Oh no, we'd just gone from San Seb to Bilbao, that's it. Um, Le Grignon. We, no, it was, I think we just got into, I don't even remember where. Um, Details, Northern like, Spain. Yeah, not important country. to the story. <laughs> yeah. um, but we had the, we got really like up for this idea of epochs, <laughs> like <laughs> eras where you kind of get the, you get the feeling of an album cycle. So you unify on like a look, theme, maybe even sound or particular thing you're exploring, mm. but you still release as singles. You mm. just sort of set an, set an era going. Yeah. So like th- this is the minimalist bluesy part, <laughs> yeah. and we just release songs that are kind of in the vein of minimalist yeah. blues. That would fit together on an album, but you make <clears> them as you go along, and mm. then when you kind of get tired of it, you just end the epoch and go on to a new yeah. one. <laughs> Whether you release seven tracks or twenty tracks, yeah. it's kind of like... And it kind of goes into a playlist or something. Um, I quite... I, we really got into that idea at the time, like, this is what we should do. Yeah. But... I think it beca- also became then like too structured to be. That probably one of the best ways to actually release music, combining a unified theme mm. with regular, sort of frequent content. But I think it became it would become a bit forced because part of an album, part of an album thing is like exploratory, and you mm. can't necessarily define the theme before. But like the music sort yeah. of dictate where you go, more than yeah. a made-up theme, a kind of scientifically designed oh I'm going to make a blues album now like yeah. it should just be that you are make naturally listening to that stuff and yeah and that it just you just gravitate towards it because that's what feels right when you're making it yeah um, it's like I don't think we sat all, all we sat out on Walk to Circus to do was like let's do something that's more experimental more interesting mm. and pushes like the boundaries of what we've done before just mm. in terms of 
anything from production to like style of writing yeah. to genres like let's just let's just go more and I've, yeah I, f I feel like that it, it was it was a product of our kind of process at the time because that was one way we recorded everything in our kind of bedrooms in our flats in London where we couldn't mm. make that much noise it was all like very laptop based um, mm. electric drum kits plugged into the laptop and mm. kind of it was a different process so although we set out to make something experimental we didn't set out to make a kind of electronic sounding mm. album that was just because we were working on our laptops the whole time mm. um, so relating it to the epoch we wouldn't have set out to make a kind of electronic ambient synthy sounding epoch we mm. would have just set out to be more experimental in that part. Mm. so it's not we can't be that constrained mm. I don't think I don't think many I mean some creatives might but I find it hard to um, know what I'm going to make before I start making it so mm. I just sort of like chuck stuff yeah, down yeah that's exactly that's exactly the point yeah We'd, if you'd made if you did epochs you'd have to know what you were going to make before you started making it because you've sort mm. of pre-branded it and that's a bit more of a I mean it's sometimes a good exercise to go oh, I'm going to write a blues song and then see what comes out but mm. to do that as your whole like output feels like it would take some of the fun away and you don't want to take the fun away yeah so I don't know if we're any closer to the side I mean there's probably a way where you can do both like if something fits as a single you just put it out and then you also make an album like in parallel but yeah, I yeah I think that's where I'll end up to be honest what um, do you think fans should we release singles and then put them into an album afterwards email us <laughs> harry at tkneko.com or james at tkneko.com <laughs> email conflicting views <laughs> to each email yeah, try and, tear and then we'll apart. fight it out on the next <laughs> podcast um, yeah should we should we leave this podcast there on that kind of I mean at the start of the podcast we'd say that we, we'd said that we'd talk about jams should we do that as a part two yeah alright that sounds good alright thanks for listening everybody stay tuned for part two <laughs> <laughs>